It's the South's biggest deal for AJC podcast listeners. For a limited time, subscribe and you'll get digital access to the AJC for $1.99 per week. For life, as long as you keep your subscription. That's our sports and politics coverage, breaking news and in-depth investigations, food and dining, and more from AJC.com every day for life. You'll also unlock access to our app, exclusive films, events, and newsletters. Subscribe now by going to AJC.com slash start. That's AJC.com slash start for new subscribers only. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song. A celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-Hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. You're listening to the seventh season of Breakdown, an exclusive podcast of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution produced with our partners at WSB Radio. This season, Judgment Call. For more information, including photos, court records, and video, go to AJCBreakdown.com. Follow us on Twitter at AJC Courts and at ReporterJCB. Also, Please join our Breakdown Facebook group to meet our journalists and ask questions about our story. Okay, I'm number one, stress the emergency. I'm calling because I have uh, someone that's um, on the floor uh, in front of the office, like crawling, like, I don't know if something happened to him. Ask me, do he need the police or the paramedic? I don't know. He's, he's, I closed my door and he's like knocking on my door. But I think he's like like drug. Yeah, send the police. Better. It's Monday afternoon, March 9th, 2015. 911 calls like this one aren't unusual. Working class apartments like Heights of Shambly sprawl all over Metro Atlanta. Tens of thousands of people live in them throughout the city. And occasionally some of them do unexpected things. 911 calls kind of things. So this call sounded pretty routine, except it wasn't. DeKalb County Police Officer Robert Chip Olson is eating lunch in his patrol car at a public parking lot about 15 minutes away. He doesn't get to finish. 251 day, signal 53, 3028 Shambly Tucker Road, the heights at Shambly Apartments at the Leeson office, complaining as high as possible, signal 22 subject on the balcony, 78 on a black male, light skin, no shirt shorts, no shoes. A signal 53 means suspicious person. The dispatcher also mentions a possible signal 22. That means a demented person. And 251 refers to Chip Olson's radio identification number. 251, clear, extended ETA. That was Chip Olson. As he drives toward the heights of Shambly, things start to get a little strange at the complex. Another 911 call comes in. The cam now one was addressing the emergency. Yes, ma'am. I'm calling from the Heights apartment. The Heights at Chambly apartment. How can I help you, ma'am? Yes, uh, we have one of the residents and think he's in drugs. Why you already he's called us? Naked outside. We're on the way, ma'am. He's naked? Yes. Now okay. he's naked. He takes all the clothes off. He's okay. outside. Okay, we're on the way, okay? Thank you, ma'am. Bye bye. The dispatcher passes that information on to Olson. In his own words, here's how he digested the news. 
Well, that's, in my mind, that kind of add another dynamic to the issue. Um, you have a person there um, that has removed their clothes, is acting suspiciously, act, or not suspicious, but suspicious person, but now they've removed all their clothes, they're acting in an um, odd manner. The apartment manager is growing impatient. She calls 911 again. We have a guy naked walking in the whole community, and we have a lot of kids here. Yes, we have officers en route, but you have to give them time to get there. Why did they take so long, man? I'm showing they're on scene. He just went on scene. He should be pulling up shortly, okay? Okay, thank you. Bye. Olson arrives and begins driving through the apartment complex looking for the suspect. I saw him as I was slowly driving by. I saw a, a what appeared to be a completely naked man crouched in the area where about where the eye is in that area, but he was in that in the middle of the road there. When I turned the corner and looked that way, I saw him jump to his feet and start sprinting in my direction towards the car. So now we have a police officer watching a naked man running right toward him. You often hear about this moment. A police officer must make a series of split-second decisions. Does this represent a threat? How do I counter the threat? Should I use force? How much force? You have to make a decision to stop what to do. I have to stop the car, put it in park, uh, get out of the car. The man was naked and unarmed. By most accounts, when Olsen first spotted him, the suspect was about 60 yards away. What happened next transpired in a matter of seconds. On his belt, Olsen has a pistol, a taser, a baton, and pepper spray. Again, the question, how much force? He has several options. Which weapon does he pull? My pistol. Get out of the car, I look up, he's running at me. I draw the weapon, I start backpedaling. How fast? As fast as I can move without falling backwards. He also yells out, Stop! Stop! But the suspect just keeps coming. Having already drawn his pistol, Olson makes a judgment call. He fires two shots at the man coming toward him. One in the neck, one in the chest. Then he calls it in. Two five one shots fired. One down. Start 252. 218. 251. 251, you have the subject 52 himself, or did you fire shots? Negative, I did. I 52'd himself means the subject committed suicide. Olson says, no, I 50'd him. I shot him. Let's listen to that last piece of audio again. Believe me, it's important. Did you hear that? He said, he came running and he attacked me. 26-year-old Anthony Hill lies still on the ground. Not only is Hill naked, there is no sign that he has a weapon of any kind. Blood is everywhere. Olson is frantically trying to save Hill's life. I went back to Mr. Hill. He was face down. I uh, turned him over and started to try to check for vital signs, for vitals. I didn't see any respirations. I watched his chest. I kept my hand on his sword to try to check carotid pulse, 
tried to find some. I didn't find any. I saw no respirations. He, uh, he rattled. Um. <clears throat> Welcome to Season 7 of Breakdown, Judgment Call. I'm Bill Rankin, legal affairs reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This season, we're joined by our friends at WSB Radio. I'm also here with Christian Boone. He covers law enforcement and public safety for the AJC. He has followed this case from the beginning. Thanks, Bill. Let me tell you some things about Anthony Hill. Military veteran, he served in Afghanistan, was a promising musician, known as Tony to his family, aunt to his friends. And let's talk about the times. A series of controversial police shootings had gripped the nation. Six months before, Michael Brown gunned down in Ferguson, Missouri. One month after Hill's death, Walter Scott shot five times in the back in North Charleston, South Carolina. Police use of force and race were now front page news. Black Lives Matter catapulted into the national consciousness. Protests sprung up in cities nationwide. Calls for reform were building. Law enforcement felt under siege. Cops began talking about the Ferguson effect, the idea that they were now holding back on enforcement, giving criminals free reign. And now's the time to tell you something that I'm sure you've been wondering. Officer Chip Olson is white. Anthony Hill was black. In this season, we'll examine police shootings, how they're investigated, how they're prosecuted, and why they're so challenging and complex. Olson was indicted for murder, a rarity in Georgia and elsewhere. According to an investigation by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and WSB-TV, in the five years before Hill was shot dead, there had been 187 fatal shootings by Georgia law enforcement officers. For those 187 killings, not a single cop stood trial. Not one. Could they all have been lawful shootings? Nearly half of the people killed were either unarmed or shot in the back, the AJC and WSB found. This made Olson just the second officer in Georgia to be indicted in a deadly shooting in at least five years. The first indictment only held up for one day. The day after the formal accusation was handed down, the DA persuaded a judge to dismiss it. In Olson's case, the indictment would stick. So, who was Anthony Hill? Christian, you've had exclusive access over the years to his family and friends. Tell us about him. Well, he was a talented musician. That's Anthony's music playing in the background. He was born in Muggs Corner, South Carolina, a tiny town just outside of Charleston, low country. It's a Friday night football kind of town where everyone seems to know everyone else, and probably does. As a kid, Anthony enjoyed riding on the tractor with his grandfather at the family farm. He and his little sister would make up games to play. They rode bikes, caught bullfrogs. You know when you're a child and your grandfather has a farm? That can be one of the best places in the world. Anthony's grandfather was a towering presence in their family, always reminding his grandson to, quote, be sensible. Anthony would later take those words to heart, having them tattooed across his chest. Most of Anthony's family still lives in Monk's Corner or nearby. But this place just wasn't big enough to contain Anthony Hill. He always dreamed of somewhere else. Here's B.J. Hayward, Anthony's best friend since childhood. He had a different mindset. I mean, whereas everybody wanted to be here, he wanted to be here. He's always steps ahead of everybody. I was like, you could tell he wasn't going to just stay right here in the the woods. He had to go somewhere where people could see him and 
he can talk to people and meet people and share ideas and learn different things because he was just ahead, a little bit ahead of everybody else. Music proved to be his ticket out. Every single time that I see your face, I can't get enough. Girl, I can't erase. You're blessed with so much gifts. Make me want to pray. That's Anthony Thank singing. You, oh, that's a nice voice. You, yeah, pretty impressive. Music consumed Anthony. He'd spend hours in his makeshift studio. Every beat had to be perfect. Every track could always be better. His dream was to become a songwriter, a real player in the Atlanta music scene. His goal was securing a record deal by his birthday in 2016. I mean, when you went in his apartment, crazy. I mean, barely furnished. Yep. But that room, room he had for his music, music. keyboard, subwoofers, everything just all set up. Soundproof the room, mm-hmm. and he had it ready. And then, you know, a couple times, like I said, we, we like we would say, "Hey, we about to go out tonight." We're like, okay. Then at the last minute, like, he get that little inspiration. I can't go. I gotta <laughs> stay. <laughs> like what? He like, nah, I gotta, gotta go. So we just leave him in the room. Mm-hmm. And we come back and see him. He's still being there. That's BJ again, and you can hear Anthony's mom, Carolyn, in the background. They'd gathered at the grandparents' house, reminiscing about Tony. Here's his grandmother, Viola Baylor. His smile, it did something to you when he would smile, you know, it, that big smile always was there. And he always talked about love. That was his thing, you know, and his, he would say, we should love everybody. Carolyn talked about how she wanted her son to go to college and how thrilled she was when he enrolled at the University of South Carolina. But then he dropped a bombshell. One day he called and told me he was not going back to school. And I said, what are you going to do? He says, I'm joining the military. And I said, what branch? Because I got scared. <laughs> you know, because I'm like, my son in the military? He don't even like people yelling at him, raising their voice. He said, the Air Force. I was like, okay, you know. And I said, why you didn't tell me? He said, because, Mama, you would have tried to talk me out of it. It's something I wanted to do. Anthony was stationed in Afghanistan's Kandahar province. He loaded bombs in aircraft. He saw things that would haunt him up until the moment Chip Olson pulled the trigger. He recalled 40 rocket attacks had rained down on his airfield. He would later confide to his roommate that he witnessed children killed in battle. Anthony was medically discharged after four years, eight months, and 27 days in the service. He returned home in 2012. His mom said he wasn't the same. He, he felt like he was damaged goods, you know, and he didn't want anybody feeling sorry or being disappointed in him. Anthony's family says he also suffered from PTSD. Yet in spite of all this, Anthony found love. Her name was Bridget Anderson. She was a college student and they had met on Twitter. Bridget liked his voice and decided she wanted to find out more about the man behind it. When I saw him, I was like, dang, he looks good. So I followed him and then we followed each other for a while. And then somehow randomly I was talking about how eyebrows are the first thing that I look at on the opposite sex. And he was like, well, what do you think about mine? They're like, yours are nice. And then we talked for about six months and then met up in person. And then, yeah, he popped the question to ask me about his girlfriend. Anthony was open about his mental health issues. Early on in their relationship, Bridget drove to South Georgia to see him. While she was there, Anthony was involuntarily committed for three days and he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I know that when we did speak on the phone, finally, he felt so bad and he was saying that he wished he would have lied to the therapist and because it spoiled my spring break and 
just kind of lied to the therapist when she asked, um, have you been sleeping well? He feels like he should have said yeah. But I told him it wasn't his fault and he said it was basically hell on earth, wherever he was at. Anthony was worried she would abandon him because of his mental illness. But she didn't abandon him. In fact, she never did. When he was diagnosed with bipolar, um, and he told me, he was like, I already know you're about to break up with me. And I was like, no, like, look, I'm understanding. Anthony and Bridget continued to date, and he moved to Atlanta intent on making a career in music. But his struggles continued. He was having problems with the VA. Finding the right medication was an ongoing challenge. This is Breakdown. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Anthony's issues with his treatment came at a time when the VA was engulfed in scandal. In June 2014, an Obama administration investigation found significant and chronic system failures and a corrosive culture inside the VA. Vets were often unable to get appointments within the targeted 14 days. There were even reports of patients dying while stuck on waiting lists. Here's Bridget describing Anthony's problems. I remember him saying, like, yeah, I'm trying to, you know, get on medicine or maybe talk to somebody to see if I can get some job placements. And then he ended up getting, I think, a phone call saying, hey, we have your appointment scheduled. It's here in Texas. And he was like, what? Like, I told y'all I'm here in Atlanta now. Y'all couldn't even schedule me in Charleston. Like, that's where I'm from. That's where my mailing address is. Bridget says Anthony was trying to manage his illness on his own. He wasn't self-medicating as much as not medicating at all. But as 2014 drew to a close, Anthony's highs and lows were beginning to take a toll. Some days he didn't even get out of bed. On others, he was noticeably manic. He started going back to the doctor, I think, around January of 2015. And um, that's when we sat down and I said, I think that you need medication because you're either super depressed and you won't get out of the bed or some weeks you're super manic and you won't go to sleep. And um, we cried about it, prayed about it, and we said that, okay, this is the best decision. But the VA presented numerous obstacles. Fast forward to March 9th, 2015, the last day of Anthony Hill's life. Just two weeks before, he stopped taking Lamictal, medication used to treat bipolar disorder. It made his tongue swell and his jaw lock side effects that are bad for a singer. In just two days, he had an appointment with a doctor to try and fix that. His decision to stop taking the drug helps explain why Anthony, who is typically very modest about his body, was wandering the apartment complex completely naked in a manic state. By the way, the heights of Shambly Apartments was Anthony's home. He'd grown close to many of the Hispanic kids who lived there. Joining them in soccer games, they taught him to swim. He was learning Spanish. March 9, 2015 was also Anthony and Bridget's three-year anniversary. They'd planned a low-key evening, a spaghetti dinner and a movie. He began the day with a workout at Planet Fitness, and late that morning, he called Bridget. 
he was like singing to me on the phone but I was at work and I was like look dude I gotta go like he was just trying to flirt and I was like dude I gotta go I knew that okay maybe this is another manic episode but I didn't worry about it too much because of course in two more days we had that appointment it would be the last time she spoke to him. Later that afternoon, Bridget became concerned when she couldn't reach him. She called everyone she knew, looking for Anthony. No luck. In the car about 20 miles outside of Atlanta, she finally heard from Anthony's roommate, KD. He was, like, crying on the phone so hard, and he said, Sis, I have to tell you something. And then he was like, never mind. I'll just wait until you get here. And I was like, no, tell me, like, what happened, what happened? He said, I'm so sorry. He was like, it got shot. And I was like, what do you mean he got shot? And at this point, I'm speeding, like going 85. And um, he was like, Ant got shot and he didn't make it. And I just like bust out in tears. That was probably like the worst phone call ever. Bridget still doesn't know who shot him or why. But she knew she had to break the terrible news to Anthony's family. Here's Carolyn recalling that awful moment. And I just started screaming. And I ended up in the laundry room. I fell to the floor. And I was screaming and crying. And she was like, Mama, Mama, Mama. And I just, I felt like I was going crazy. I thought I was losing my mind. Because I was trying to comprehend it. And I couldn't grasp it. But I did say, Lord, give me the strength. Please don't let me hate the cop and keep me in my right mind, because I, I felt like I was losing it, you know? And I sat there, and then all of a sudden, I just stopped crying, and I was just staring. And then I got up. It was like I was watching myself just, this is not real. I'm gonna be pinched, this is a dream. You know, you're trying to wrap your mind around it, and you feel like you're losing yourself. And I just got up, and then I stopped crying, and you know? I don't think I cried yet about it, really. I'm angry about it, but I don't think I've gotten it all out. But I, I remember it. It's, it's a, like a, a, a part of me is gone. There would be many things from that day that left Anthony's family confused. One of them, of course, was why. Why would he charge at an officer? In high school, he worked for the tiny Monks Corner Police Department. They call it an internship, but it's a, a work, it's a program where you go and work and they pay you and it, he did that his junior year before he became a senior. And he loved it. They loved him. He learned a lot, you know. I mean, he did stuff like they would give him jobs to last a week and he'll finish it in two days. But he enjoyed it. He did. He enjoyed it. He did. He did. Anthony decided a career in law enforcement just wasn't for him. But his family says he never lost respect for police. In the aftermath of the Ferguson shooting, as police were being criticized across the country, Anthony took to Twitter to defend them. It was something he argued about often with Bridget. Yeah, yeah. I know when the um, Mike Brown case happened, I was just so pissed off. I remember going to Quick Trip and, like, crying in the parking lot. And he was calming me down and saying, like, not all cops are the same. And I looked at him, like, with this evil eye and saying, like, how could you even say that? Like, all, of course, there's, like, not all cops are bad, but they're working for a system that is just terrible. So automatically that makes them bad in my eyes. Still, she never thought Anthony would be a victim. Um, I asked who did it, and he said a cop did it, and, like, that just, it was, like, too, too much at that point. Like, I just automatically assumed it was a civilian, like, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe he got robbed. 
And then when he said a cop did it, I was just like, what do you mean a cop did it? Like, and me being so in tune with like the Black Lives Matter stuff, I was just like, how, like, how can this be happening? At the scene, Bridget was heartbroken, dumbfounded, and angry. And they calmed me down and told me like, he was jumping off a balcony naked, he ran towards a cop and the cop shot him. And I was like, he was naked. The first thing that was out of my mouth was he was naked. Why would he shoot him? And they were like, well, he ran towards him. And I was like, this sounds like BS. Like, where's the real story? What was going through Chip Olson's mind? Why didn't he use his taser instead of his pistol? What about his baton or his pepper spray? Why didn't he just stay in the patrol car and wait for backup? Well, all Olson knew was what the dispatcher told him. Remember that? She said a man was acting suspiciously and was possibly demented. He was also walking naked around an apartment complex in the middle of the afternoon. Olson didn't know what we know now, that Hill was an Afghanistan war veteran off his meds. That at the time of so much animosity toward cops, Hill was a supporter. He didn't know that the apartment manager who called 911 was worried about Hill and didn't feel threatened by him. Back in South Carolina, Hill's family was devastated. They wanted to know what happened. Making matters worse, they weren't getting any answers from DeKalb County Police. Here's Anthony's uncle, Pierre Baylor. Two things upset me initially that she never got a phone call, not even to apologize, because if they apologized, it meant guilt. But I felt like they could have called and said, we're sorry for your loss. We're sorry for the loss of your family. But it felt like, to me, they went in defense mode from the get-go, which irritated me and my older brother, because we were there. Cause we even showed, they kept showing the picture of him nude. So we had pictures of him in his military uniform. And the report that was there, we on site at the apartment mm-hmm. complex. We were like, hey, this is who he was. He wasn't a wild man running around. This is who he was. He was a veteran. The news media was asking questions. A nude man shot dead in broad daylight. WSB's Richard Sangster reports the suspect was naked, running wildly around a Shambly apartment complex. The fact the dead man was unarmed, the care public safety director, Cedric Alexander, turned the investigation over to the GBI. Along with his service pistol, the officer was also carrying a taser and pepper spray. How would the police explain that? They said Olson shot Hill because he feared for his safety. That explanation wasn't enough for Hill's family. They retained Atlanta personal injury lawyer Chris Chestnut. He brought in a private investigator who started digging right away. Eric Eccles has worked on a number of high-profile cases, such as the shocking police shooting of Walter Scott in South Carolina. And what Eccles found at the apartment complex would challenge Olson's version of events. I went out almost immediately when the, after the shooting took place. I mean, the flowers and everything were still out there when I was out there. Looking up at the apartment buildings, Eccles saw windows everywhere. In a day and age where almost everyone is taking photos or videos with their cell phones, Eccles figured there could be plenty of potential witnesses and possibly ironclad evidence stored inside those phones. Don't forget, the cell phone video showing Walter Scott getting shot in the back caused a national uproar and led to a long prison sentence for the cop who shot him. But Eccles quickly found out he had a big problem. Most everyone in the complex spoke Spanish, not English. So he used some ingenuity. I found a 14-year-old girl 
who spoke English and spoke Spanish, and I walked her around with me, and she was my translator. She knew Anthony very well. Um, all of the kids over there knew Anthony. Anthony would play with them. They knew, you know, he was a friendly guy. Eccles and his 14-year-old assistant started knocking on doors. People just started talking. Um, and, and the more people talked, the more information I got. Eccles also spoke to people who worked at the apartment complex, including the manager who called 911. They were just calling for help. They wouldn't call for a police officer like there was a crime or someone was, you know, attacking someone. They were calling 911 because, hey, this is not normal for a man to be walking around, you know, fully unclothed. Then there was a custodian who'd spoken to Anthony just before his death. He told Anthony the police had just arrived. And Anthony said, good, they're here to help me. That's what Anthony told the guy. So again, in Anthony's mind, he was, he was the police were coming to help him. But then, yet still, he got shot and killed. The investigator also found a key witness, one he said police had yet to interview. This witness had watched the entire encounter unfold while parked behind Olson's squad car. Remember what Olson said? That Hill had charged at him? When I turned the corner and looked that way, yes. I saw him jump to his feet and start sprinting in my direction towards the car. Eccles's witness told a very different story. He said Anthony moved towards the officer in a non-aggressive manner, his arms stretched out to the side, a smile on his face. He was like kind of jogging, trotting, and when he got closer to the officer, he, he opened up his arms like this. This came from this witness who saw everything behind the police officer. He had the best view. He had the best view. Eccles turned his findings over to the DeKalb County District Attorney's Office, which was conducting its own investigation. Olson's fate was now in the hands of District Attorney Robert James. We mentioned earlier how rare it is for police officers to be prosecuted for fatal shootings. James knew there was a lot riding on his decision, and he was up for re-election the following year. But then an unlikely source came forward, and everything changed. Next... On breakdown. I went into that interview just trying to get sort of a bird's eye view of what happened in the moments afterwards, and then that comes out, and I'm just like, whoa. You know, we knew at this point this case was going to be prosecuted, this case was going to be indicted, and I felt pretty good about our chances. We'll hear why DA Robert James felt so optimistic. And who is Chip Olson, and why is it so hard to indict a police officer? I'm Bill Rankin. I'm Christian Boone. Thanks for joining us on another season of Breakdown. You've been listening to Breakdown, reported and narrated by Bill Rankin and Christian Boone. Produced by Shannon McCaffrey. Edited by Richard Hallex. Sound designed by Shane Backler at WSB Radio. Original music composed and recorded by Bo Emerson and Anthony Hill. Special thanks to Kevin Riley. Monica Richardson, Sean McIntosh, Brad Schrade, Pete Corson, Pete Spriggs, Chris Camp, Veronica Waters, and all the great people at the AJC. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite download app. We also invite you to listen to the previous six seasons of Breakdown. And of course, thanks so very much for listening. 
the AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. 